Welcome to Grounding Grief, a podcast dedicated to talking about grief. I'm Ann Beach, your host. If you like this episode, follow us, write a review, or email me at ann, A-N-N, at groundinggrief.com. Since I began this podcast last April, I've heard from several people who let me know what about a certain episode resonates with them, and quite a few have asked whether I'd consider doing an episode on pets. Often that suggestion comes from someone who has just said goodbye to a beloved pet. I know their grief is deep and profound, yet so far, no one has been willing to commit to an interview. And so, as I record this episode on National Pets Day, I offer up my pet stories. Before getting into the two types of grief I have experienced, along with the great joy I get from my pets, I encourage you to write me. And when you do, I'll set up a Zoom meeting to listen to your pet story. Something that I have learned from doing this podcast is that it takes courage to talk about things that are painful, grief-instilling. And yet, each person I've interviewed to a person has told me they felt better for it, myself included. And that is the point of this podcast, to talk about difficult, painful things, to be heard, listened to, and have our grief validated wherever we sit on its continuum. In doing so, these conversations become normalized. Our burdens are lessened, and we simply feel better for a moment, or even begin to heal. Okay, so pets. I was raised with cats, so I'm a cat person. I hope this doesn't cause me to lose devoted dog lovers. I love them too, but life brought me cats, so that is what I have to talk about. I do want to mention that in episode three, The Unborn, Bryn talked about how important her dog has been in guiding her and Andy through their infertility journey. Oh, and by the way, Bryn and Andy are expecting a baby girl in April. So back to cats. I've lived with a dozen over the course of my six-plus decades. Five have been family cats. One was one of my siblings while we still lived under our parents' roof. Three were inherited, and three have been mine alone. The first cat I lived with came to my childhood family while on vacation on Lake Ontario. Back then, each summer, my parents, along with my uncle's family and the families of my father's colleagues, would rent cottages on the shores of Lake Ontario. Idyllic summer days playing in the water and on the beach with familiar kids and cousins are fond memories of my distant childhood. One summer, a stray kitten was cared for by the group, and when it came time to return home, discussion was had about what to do with this growing kitten. Reluctantly, my parents agreed to let us have the cat, with my father naming him Trouble. Trouble A sweet, gentle tabby was anything but, and he lived with us for about a dozen tumultuous years. He eased my life as the years became more difficult, not simply because I was growing up, but also because during those formative years, my mother descended into mental illness along with other family members. But trouble. He was always good for a snuggle amidst the chaos and confusion. He made my life less scary. 
Trouble was aptly named, however, for his name foretold of the crumbling of the nuclear family into which I was born, and his end, too. In a last-ditch effort to keep the family together, my parents made a sudden move from Syracuse to Albany in the middle of my freshman year of college. That was traumatic enough for me. I left my childhood home and city for freshman year of college, only to return mid-year to a foreign city with no friends and an unfamiliar house and neighborhood. I believe Trouble had made the move with the family and would be there, too, to console me in the lonely, desolate isolation I was certain I would feel there. But when I could not find him anywhere in this new place, I was told a gruesome story of his death. Now, almost 50 years later, I realize my grief at losing him went unattended, for it was overpowered by the grief I experienced by the disintegration of our mother and the joy that once had inhabited my younger siblings, as well as the impending implosion of my nuclear family. In some ways, I had already been hardened to grief brought on by the death of a pet. When I was 11, I got my first very own cat. Our neighbors had a litter of kittens, and our parents agreed to let my older sister and me each have one, probably hoping to instill a bit of responsibility in their two oldest. My sister took Persephone, a calico female, and I chose Alexander, a yellow tabby male, for he was the same coloring as our beloved Trouble, who seemed unbothered by these new additions. I loved Alexander as wholeheartedly as an 11-year-old could. He was outdoorsy, as was I, and I was always delighted when he wandered by, or even climbed up the tall pine tree I often climbed in front of our home. One morning, when he was less than a year old, I discovered him stiff under that tree. I cried unconsolably, wondering why my cat had to die. I think perhaps this was my first experience at grieving that went through my entire body, engulfing every cell. I believe that is when I gave up climbing that tree, for Alexander would never visit me up there again, and I also realized nothing, not even gasping, ugly crying would bring him back to life. I would have to bear this loss bravely and alone. In time I got another cat, and another, and another. I loved two of them as much as Trouble and Alexander, but of course differently. Louis Gatto got me through business and law schools, wrapping himself around the back of my neck when I studied. Later, Otis, a family cat, adored me and would sleep lying across my neck until one day he wandered off on new adventures as my middle daughter has always, and I sometimes, believed. All of these cats taught me something about life, death, grief, and love. Death truly is the ultimate and most profound trigger for grief, but there is another type of grief that I believe warrants thought and conversation. Anticipatory grief. Presently, my husband and I have three cats. To our brothers, I cajoled my husband into letting us get 13 years ago. Truth be told, I had our youngest daughter call and ask him if we could bring home a kitten rescued from a barn while all along I intended to bring him and his brother home. I had pushed my 14-year-old daughter's moral compass as far as possible. After making the first call about one kitten, and as she watched me gather up the second, she firmly placed her hand on her hip and insisted I call back my husband and confess I was bringing both home. 
We still have Omar and Homer, two peculiar but sweet feral cats who now are truly devoted to my husband and he to them. You see, almost 10 years ago, my devotion shifted to a beautiful, long-haired tortoise female cat we inherited from Victoria. Her name is Flannery. Victoria named her after her favorite author, Flannery O'Connor, and on the Saturday before Victoria's funeral, she arrived at our Massachusetts home by way of two of Victoria's dear friends, Isaac and Danny. They had driven east with her from Chicago to attend Victoria's funeral. This plan had evolved during those fast-paced, distracting events that transpire before a funeral. On the day following Victoria's murder, as her friends and I packed up her Chicago apartment, periodically we'd talk about what would happen to her cats. By then, she'd acquired a second one. She had agreed to take on a cat from a friend who was moving and could not take the cat with her. I told her friends I would take them both, not voicing, but knowing I truly only wanted Flannery, for she and I had bonded on my many trips to visit Victoria, and I could not leave behind the only living part of Victoria's life that remained. I did not have the same attachment to the other cat, and I'm fairly certain Victoria did not. Still, I could not leave her behind either. The only question was who would temporarily house the cats until Isaac and Danny were ready to drive east that Saturday. In stepped Walt, even though he is allergic to cats. As he pointed out, he lived just two blocks from Victoria, and it was only for a couple of days. Late on Friday night, I heard from Walt, who tentatively and apologetically asked if he could keep one of the cats, preferably the short-haired one, for she affected his allergies less, if at all. In other words, not Flannery. Flannery would be mine. Like so many things in those early days after her death, I felt Victoria at work. She had found a home for her inherited cat, leaving me with just Flannery, the kitten she had raised. In the early days of my grief, when sleepless nights were common, it was Flannery who sat with me, providing warmth and comfort as her not-quite-ten-pound body nestled next to or on mine. I sought the feel of her soft fur as I mourned my daughter, knowing this small creature had provided Victoria all the joy and comfort all my collective cats had provided me over the years, and also knowing she had been with Victoria at her end when I was not. She is now almost 14 years old, older in cat years than I am in human years. At times, my mind swells to the point of bursting with anticipatory grief. My chest becomes heavy, my breathing labored. I fret as I ask myself, what will I do if Flannery dies before me? And it is likely she will do that. So I brace myself for one day revisiting the very raw pain that has eased over ten years, but still exists. I know the death of this cat will bring a far deeper grief than the one I experienced so long ago when Alexander died, or when circumstances that shattered the nuclear family I came from were all wrapped up in trouble's death. Troubling as it is, I practice all the techniques I have learned to soothe myself with since Victoria died. 
I use every tool in the toolkit I have built. Still a dread and fear rise up in me as I realize one day I will have to face and bear this loss. There's really not much more to say than that, except that maybe by being brave enough to talk about this, I've already lessened its pain, lightened its grip. I don't know. Really, only time will tell. I do know those closest to me will be there for me when that time comes. As they did when Victoria died, they will sit by me, walk with me, listen to me. And I'm fairly certain, as I gaze out windows in grief, staring at the beauty of this earth, I will repeat my old familiar mantra. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Grounding Grief. Who knows what next month's episode will bring? Maybe even more pet stories. As always, if you like this episode, follow us, write a review, or email me at Anne, A-N-N, at groundinggrief.com.